passport pushback. Just at times you deal with some pretty irate customers. Enforcement anxiety on the rise with BC's vaccine card just two weeks away. Housing crunch. I have a friend who's literally living in a house with like seven people, like a three-bedroom house. The factor is fueling a rental shortage, leaving students searching for a place to stay. And invasion of the moths. It feels a little bit like uh, an American Horror Story episode. The swarm about to hit us and the potential damage they can do. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. The provincial government is getting more pushback on its vaccination mandate for businesses like restaurants, theaters and live events. This time in reaction to Premier John Horgan's advice that any business dealing with disruptive anti-vaxxers should call police. Madagahi reports. In exactly two weeks, everyone over the age of 12 walking through these doors will need to show proof of at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccination. With that day fast approaching, businesses were hoping by now to have the answer to these questions. I'd like to know exactly what the app is, how it looks, how we can, in an in a expedited, uh, reasonable way, have people on a busy Friday night make it through the door. But the biggest concern will be enforcement. Because if the mask mandate has shown the service industry anything, it's this. At times you deal with some pretty irate customers and um, I think everybody's tensions are, are, are pretty wound up right now with the pandemic. So there's definitely been some hot conversations with people trying to enforce some of the rules. Last week, the Premier confidently said businesses can call the police on problem customers who may want to resist showing a vaccine card. Perhaps leaving the threshold of those disputes up to the managers to decide. This while police unions flag the issue of resources that across the province are spread thin due to wildfires, the Ferry Creek standoff, and the well-documented rise of mental health calls associated to COVID-19. Our concerns are, are, uh, are very high about what this will look like for the members. And, and there's only so many calls we can attend. Um, so what will... Until we get more resources, I'm not sure, you know, where we go from there. There are going to be um, issues around enforcement. There is always the uncertainty of something that was never in place before and is now in, going to be in place on September 13th. But we're going to work through these issues with uh, uh, all of our partners to make sure that uh, this is a success. Back at the host and hostess stand, the industries who will have to see this through are predicting some friction at least to start. You've got frontline employees that are typically the entry-level positions, they're typically a little bit younger. Some of these, you know, people that don't want to comply can be quite aggressive. So I do feel like there's a confrontation there that's kind of waiting to happen. Couple that with the uncertainty of how tourists will factor in. Emma Gahi, Global News. Well, that vaccine card program comes into effect two weeks from today, and it will likely be app-based. As Grace Key reports, that is raising concerns for seniors, as well as low-income and homeless individuals who may not have a smartphone. Walking into a fast food restaurant may seem like a non-essential service for most people, but for the homeless and other marginalized groups, it's an important lifeline. For somebody who has been outside for the last 24 hours and it is dumping down buckets of rain and it's super windy and it's really cold, having a place to go inside before a meal line opens or the shelter opens could save them from getting really ill. 
it could keep them dry. Concerns are being raised on the province's new vaccine passport that's going to be rolling out on September 13. In particular, how the homeless, undocumented people, marginalized groups and the elderly will be able to access it. We want to know how is the outreach going to happen for people in the downtown east side or for people who are experiencing homelessness. We want to know what that card is going to look like. And we want to know how people can access it if they don't have their public health number or if they don't have photo identification. Watari Counseling and Support Services also raises concerns about those who have immigration and language barriers. They won't be able to get a BC Services card. They won't be able to apply to that passport. Um, so we are very concerned about how this measure is already marginalizing people that are already marginalized and, and are struggling a lot with um, the sta- their status in Canada and now this is adding to it. The province says there will be another option for people and those details will be coming out soon. There will be an alternative to smartphone for people who require that alternative and that will be in place and we'll be providing a full briefing to everybody in the province on the details of that well in advance of it coming into place. So all of those things are being worked through and we're going to work through them methodically step by step as we have at every point in the pandemic. Advocacy groups are hoping to learn more before the past comes out. Grace Key, Global News. All right, let's take a look now at the latest COVID numbers in BC. We have three days to report and there are 1,853 new cases. That brings our active case total to 5,918 with 176 people in hospital, a jump of 17, 91 of those patients in the ICU, which is higher by seven. Sadly, seven more people have died due to complications of the virus, including one person in their 40s. And we now have 76.4% of people aged 12 and older fully vaccinated. Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria. Keith, the numbers are creeping up and that mm-hmm. has many concerned, obviously. But uh, you've done some number crunching for us that shows that even though our numbers are higher, it's not entirely bad news. Well, certainly. And again, we've seen high numbers before. You go back to April, May, we had very many high cases. Even before that, we were over 1,000. The critical difference right now is so many of us are vaccinated, the most severe outcomes of getting COVID-19 have reduced in numbers significantly. Take a look at the comparison between the end of April and today. So back in April, we were running more than 800 cases a day. More than 500 people were in hospital any given day. 175, more than 178 were in ICU. But the vaccination rate, take a look at that, just 40%. Today, we're at 84.2% and climbing. Yes, we've got a high daily case number, but our hospitalizations and ICU numbers nowhere near what we saw back in April. So the vaccinations are having a very positive impact. It's not eliminating hospital cases or ICU cases, but it's greatly reducing the number uh, of those most severe forms of illness to a significant degree. Now, tomorrow, we're going to get more modeling from Dr. Bonnie Henry, projecting where we're headed with hospitalizations and vaccines. And the link between the two, we'll be carrying that live on tomorrow's new news. All right, we'll look for you then. Thanks, Keith. School starts one week tomorrow, and the University of Victoria is being blasted over what some students are calling an unprecedented housing crisis. Kylie Stanton has the desperate stories from students and the university's response. The instant noodles and everything. The essentials are packed, and it's move-in day. When I finally got my residence offer, I was really happy and relieved. 
Zoe New is one of 2,100 lucky students to have secured a spot in the University of Victoria's residences through the newly implemented lottery system. But there are as many as 500 applicants that can't be accommodated this year, now left scrambling for housing. Emailing places like crazy, and I think out of all of them, we probably got like 10 responses. It's insane. The student population at UVic this year is expected to be more than 20,000, with roughly three-quarters of them coming from outside of Greater Victoria. But with a vacancy rate at an all-time low, just 1%, it's creating massive challenges for those looking to rent off campus. It is an incredibly frustrating time for, for students, and, and we want all of our students to have safe and affordable housing. The administration saying it's the result of several factors. Enrollment is up by 3%. There's hesitancy among landlords concerned with renting to students in the midst of a pandemic, while some are using rental space to work from home. Now it's encouraging the community to step up. To encourage them. Uh, to, to open their homes uh, as a way as, of helping to support the transition of our students back to UVic and back to the Victoria area. But for many students, that's simply not enough. This has been one of the most frustrating and stressful experiences of my life. They've taken to Instagram to share their experiences on the account UVic Tent Life. The student behind it, who did not want to be identified, said many could be left with little choice but to live on the streets. Students starting school homeless in Victoria, it almost definitely will happen to some extent. It's also becoming a platform to voice their concerns about how the situation is being handled. With posts like, I could not be more disappointed in UVic's incompetence and denial at this housing crisis. The complaints keep coming. Their sort of lack of action on this issue has direct implications and impacts students' mental health and their ability to function and their ability to learn. In the next two years, construction on this $200 million project will be complete, adding 780 beds to the residences. And while that may help make a dent in the years to come, classes are starting next week, whether students have a roof over their heads or not. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A frightening reminder that BC's wildfire season isn't over yet. Last night it almost looked like a volcano with lava coming out of it. People in Penticton had a front row seat for this frightening view of an inferno burning in the hills above town. How this latest blaze shows we're not out of the wood yet, woods yet. That's next on the news hour. Battered by Ida, the catastrophic damage left behind later on the news hour. Also ahead, hands down the most adorable wildfire evacuees, the extra help needed to take care of this new litter later. Right now, though, the number of properties under evacuation order and alert because of wildfires in this province dropped slightly over the weekend, but the risk is not over. We have 225 active fires right now, three in the last two days, and 16 are fires of note. When it comes to the cause of these fires, just about 56% were started by lightning, 32.4% are human-caused. Now, an evacuation alert has just been issued by the Penticton Indian Band for 210 properties in Skaha Hills, Riva Ridge, Holiday Hills RV Resort, and in the lower village south of Shingle Creek. The Skaha Creek wildfire moved toward Penticton last night, the orange glow of the flames creeping uncomfortably close to the community. Aaron MacArthur has more on the concern there and a look at the provincial fire picture. Last night, it almost looked like a volcano with lava coming out of it. The Skaha Creek fire, much too close for comfort, 
Evacuation orders haven't come yet, but people living underneath the flames aren't taking any chances. Nobody wants to have a fire that close to their their home, but uh, we've we've been ready and we've got some things packed up. And the fire burning on the ridges southwest of the city of Penticton. Skimmers and planes carrying retardant trying to keep the flames away from homes. New Mapping Monday puts the fire at just more than two square kilometers. The Penticton Indian Band watching the movement of the fire closely. There's a lot of concern and some panic with some of our community members. So we really want to put them at ease that right now uh, everything is looking okay. A break in the weather giving crews a chance to jump on some of the most stubborn fires around B.C. A controlled burn on the White Rock Lake fire, along with machine guards that have been scratched into difficult terrain, have given crews some optimism here. All that the weather has done so far is allow us uh, time to build a fire guard where we need to build it in order to succeed. While Tuesday is the last day of August, it is by no means the end of fire season. Steadier winds and daytime temperatures well into the upper 20s continue to pose problems for getting control of the largest fires. The military remains on scene to assist BC wildfire in case the situation deteriorates. Uh, there's still another three to four weeks of uh, active fire season in here. In Penticton, all eyes on the hills above Skaha Lake, hoping the winds don't make a tense situation any worse than it already is. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A woman has now been charged for setting the fire that destroyed a Surrey church. There were two attacks targeting St. George's Coptic Church over the summer. The first on July 14th caused only minor damage. In that incident, a woman was caught on surveillance video starting the fire. On July 19th, another deliberately set fire gutted the church. 35-year-old Kathleen Panic has now been charged with two counts of arson. She is now being held in custody and is scheduled for a bail hearing later this week. As a result of the investigation, our investigators have been able to get some information on motive. We won't be able to release that. We are entering the court process. That information will be provided in court, but what I can tell you is they don't believe that these two incidents of arson are connected in any way to specifically targeting the church um, or related to any sort of historically troubled relationships between the church and the community. A search is now underway for a missing Langley woman. 40-year-old Naomi Onatera was last seen leaving her Langley home Saturday night. The elementary school teacher was reported missing Sunday night by her family. Langley RCMP are conducting a door-to-door search in the area of 200th and 50th Avenue and asking anyone who may have seen Onatera to get in touch with them. Federal B.C. RCMP officers are showing off a huge bust of illicit drugs over the weekend. Police seized 600 kilograms of suspected methamphetamines and arrested three men. Charges are pending. Police say the investigation is still in progress, so they're not providing any other details right now. But they say while a seizure of this size might be shocking, it's also far too common. Just ahead, the return of the Looper Moths. We are expecting a fairly large uh, flight of moths this year. The impact of the insect invasion and how they might actually do some good. Plus, the coyotes strike again, more attacks and a fresh warning from conservation officers. 
The Patella Bridge is a very similar story to a lot of the major routes in the lower mainland right now. It's all moving pretty well, so north and southbound, no problems at all. Want to be the, co the ultimate content creator? Talk with expert photographers and creators at your local Henry's about the best gear for streaming, podcasting, and video content. Visit henrys.com. In Global One, I'm Tim Main. Going into your evening, Highway 1 across the Portman Bridge has no problems. If you're moving into Abbotsford, Highway 1 westbound after the Venter Canal has a crash, and that's causing some delays there. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. In Global One, I'm Tim May. The U.S. military has completed its withdrawal of its forces from Afghanistan after 20 years of conflict. A rocket attack overnight only underscoring the danger and chaos facing troops as they attempted to rescue the last of the American citizens and Afghan allies. Just hours before the U.S. departure from Afghanistan was complete, another airstrike against the so-called Islamic State this time on a car that had fired rockets toward Kabul airport. The Pentagon says Sunday's strike killed two militants, but reports say 10 civilians died in the explosion, including six children. Nobody wants to see innocent life taken. Uh, we take it very, very seriously. Further bloodshed will not help the West's efforts to convince the Taliban to cooperate in evacuations after Tuesday's deadline. Western foreign ministers met to discuss just how that will be done. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said Canada will pressure the Taliban to get everyone out. This is something we will continue to do into the coming months uh, alongside our allies and our partners. On Monday, the Globe and Mail reported that Ukrainian special forces went into Kabul Friday to escort 19 Canada-bound Afghans to the airport. But with all foreign troops now gone, one former Canadian interpreter told Global News all he can do is pray. We are here about to, uh, even more than 100 families uh, in this area and uh, the Taliban know about that that we are in here so we hope they will not say anything to us and they will not do anything to us in new york the united nations security council passed a resolution to allow safe passage from afghanistan the turf outside the airport the gates are run by the taliban so they will select who gets to get through security expert stephen sademan says the taliban won't want to let other countries decide who gets to leave we're not going to be able to get out of the country, everybody who wants to leave. You might see large numbers of refugees fleeing Afghanistan and ending up in, in camps on, in Pakistan. As two decades of NATO's power and influence in Afghanistan now comes to an end. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. Heading into a busy week of campaigning, the federal party leaders are sharing their plans to tackle a number of issues. The environment 
animal abuse and taxing the ultra-rich. But allegations of sexual misconduct against a candidate who has now stepped down overshadowed one leader's campaign. Here's Global's Miranda Anthistle with the details. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau in Granby, Quebec, making a big commitment to protecting Canada's fresh water, including investing a billion dollars to restore large lake and river systems, fully funding a Canada water agency, and investing nearly $38 million for research. Much of this environmental platform is building on the tremendous hard work we've done over the past six years. We understand that not only is fighting climate change the right thing to do. It's the best thing to do for jobs and the, and the future. In King City, Ontario, with his pooch Wexford by his side, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole pledged to prevent animal abuse by banning puppy mills and cosmetic testing on animals. But he was questioned on why the word puppy appears more often than the word racism in his party's platform. We have the most diverse slate of candidates running for the Conservative Party because they believe in Canada's recovery plan and they're going to help us tackle racism, reconciliation, inequalities. Taking focus away from O'Toole's announcement, an allegation of sexual misconduct against Conservative candidate Troy Myers in Nova Scotia, who has now withdrawn from politics to fight what he calls defamatory false statements. O'Toole says the Tories take these allegations very seriously. He was also questioned about another candidate whose behaviour has raised concerns. Longtime Ontario MP Cheryl Gallant, who has posted conspiracy theories online, but has not been removed from the party. Our team is running on Canada's recovery plan, and every single person running as a Conservative candidate is committed to our five-pillar plan to get the country back on its feet and get people working. In the nation's capital, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh says his party will make the ultra-rich pay their fair share. We want to put an end to the offshore tax havens. <clears throat> we want to make sure that we are closing loopholes. We want to make sure that we are giving the CRA enough resources by investing in staffing and tools so that they can crack down with enforcement and increase revenue. Miranda Anthesol, Global News. A new Westminster restaurant is kicking off its annual bonofficial election poll as B.C. voters weigh in on the federal election. Now, the NDP appear to be leading with 32 votes, the Liberal Party in second at 23. The Green Party has 18 votes right now, so they are ahead of the Conservatives' 15. Customers can visit Burger Heaven to vote for their favourite candidate and get dinner, of course. The poll will run until September 18th. Burger Heaven is predicting this election season will be explosive. It's going to be a dogfight till the end of it. I think the way this is going right now, uh, it's going to be a coin flip between either the Conservatives or the Liberals, but I think the NDP might be able to sneak in there, at least make that minority part of that government for them. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it goes. It just It's unfortunate that it has to pan out this way with everything else that's been going on over the last couple of years. It's not really the ideal time for it. Undecided. Justin Trudeau has announced he will give provinces a billion dollars for vaccine passports. And research from an economist at one of Canada's big banks indicates that provinces that have one will do better economically than those that don't. Global's Anne Gaviola has more. Restaurants, gyms, concerts, sporting events, sure, their doors may be open, but some customers may not step inside without guarantees those around them have been vaccinated. I have a compromised immune system, 
So I'm careful about where I go and whom I'm with, who I'm with. TD Bank's chief economist says provinces that don't implement vaccine passports may be hit hardest during the fourth wave, a sentiment echoed by other experts. In the sense that this helps prevent uh, further lockdowns, uh, certainly that would be positive and, and help those businesses keep going. Vaccine passports may be good for the economy, but they're not without controversy. I think like we are dividing people on that by having a vaccine passport. I mean, like people have a choice of like having a vaccine or not. Jen Egg's Toronto restaurants have been targeted by anti-vaxxers after she called for a vaccine passport. BC, Manitoba and Quebec all have plans in place for vaccine passports. And Ontario is expected to pull a political 180 this week and announce a vaccine passport system. Alberta and Saskatchewan are holdouts. Alberta and Saskatchewan are creating proof of vaccine cards, though both provinces insist they're not passports. Left at the discretion of businesses, it's effectively a way to download responsibility onto the private sector. While Liberals and the NDP have promised financial support for provincial vaccine certification programs, the Conservatives have said they don't want to pick fights on this issue. And if the provinces make decisions on proof of vaccinations, uh, vaccine passports, we will support and respect what the provinces decide to do. Governments can't leave businesses hanging out there like a piñata for people to shoot at. What we've seen in instances where businesses have gone ahead by themselves and and, uh, developed standards is that they've been subjected to harassment, in some cases to threats of violence. And so governments have a responsibility to spell out what is expected. In a statement to Global News, Ag says, allowing a loud, misinformed minority to hold the rest of us hostage with their tantrums at our businesses is an appalling abdication of leadership. Anne Caviola, Global News, Toronto. In Health Matters tonight, the B.C. government is taking over the employment of thousands of hospital cleaning and food services staff. The province will be ending 21 contracts with commercial service providers, bringing those jobs back into the public sector. Those services were privatized in the early 2000s under Gordon Campbell's Liberal government. The change will impact roughly 4,000 workers. Anybody who works in a hospital knows how important keeping hospitals clean is to the health of patients and to the health of everybody. Everybody who works in a hospital and tries to, and tries to, um, and is recovering knows the importance and the fundamental understanding of food. This is important work, and this will allow healthcare workers affected by these contracts to receive the same wages and benefits as other healthcare workers in other health authorities who are paid to do exactly the same work. The transition is expected to be largely complete by the end of March 2022. Up next, disaster in New Orleans. That proof is coming. Holy Ida's devastating blow. Plus, a Mexican resort town hit hard by Hurricane Nora. And later... I've had uh, a great time here and I've created so many friendships, so many great memories. The return of Alex Edler, the longtime Canuck, on his time in Vancouver, and how his new number is a nod to a former teammate. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Tropical storm Nora is dropping heavy rain along the Gulf of California after weakening from a deadly hurricane that caused extensive damage along the west coast of Mexico. 
Nora sparked floods and landslides along Mexico's Pacific coast, killing one person and leaving seven others missing. A teenager from Spain died when a hotel partially collapsed in Puerto Vallarta. And one of the missing is a woman who was dragged from her car by surging waters. Six fishermen are also listed as missing at sea. Well, they are still rescuing people in Louisiana the day after Hurricane Ida crashed into the coast as one of the most powerful storms ever to hit the American mainland. The destruction almost complete in some cities and power could be out for weeks in stifling late summer temperatures. Tonight, this is Homa, a hurricane-beaten, wind-battered shell of a city, one of the first to suffer a direct hit from Ida. This is the worst I've ever been through. I'm never staying home again, I tell you that. I'm definitely going to evacuate. I'm never going to chance this again. The storm pummeling the area with gusts topping 140 miles an hour, ripping off roofs in seconds and leaving homes shredded. For Dale Crocker, a total loss. He spent today with his service dogs, salvaging whatever he could, recalling the moment Ida turned his home inside out. I can't hear, but uh, I heard that. And nearby shelters, dozens tried to figure out what comes next. They're going to push me homeless, me and my family, seven, seven people in the household. Jerome White and his dog Rocky rescued by police when storm surge started rushing into their home. The water was right here on me. They were lucky because help came. The city's police chief says his office couldn't immediately respond to so many of the desperate calls because sending teams out would have put them in danger. Cruisers unable to compete with debris-covered roads. We had a lot of calls for rescues. What do you tell them? I can't save you if I can't save myself first. Ida leaving nothing untouched. Even a power plant specially built to withstand a Category 4 hurricane, no match for the storm, knocking out Homa's power. At Chabert Medical Center, a delicate but urgent race against time. When Ida tore off part of its roof, staff scrambled to protect ICU patients. We're not going to actually feel the building swaying. Today, ambulances stretched around the building, rushing one patient after another to clinics and hospitals that still had room. And tonight, despite the damage, there is some good news. The hospital telling me they were able to move every single patient that needed care. The focus now, making critical repairs here before another potential hurricane moves in. The power of Mother Nature. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell with a look at our weather forecast. Much more calm here. Uh, grayish, fallish, though. <laughs> it's getting there, Yvonne. Yeah, it starts to feel that way, especially for the overnight lows when we get down to 10 and 12 degrees. And we've got a bit of a blip in the forecast. Thanks, Soph, and good evening, everyone. We are going to be even looking at the chance for some showers, and it'll be a touch cooler by a couple of degrees or a few, especially for the interior. Here's a glance at what it looks like. We're tracking some cloud cover. We'll continue to see that. We've got some instability at this hour, and that's across the central interior. Areas near Prince George and Williams Lake, we've seen a few lightning strikes pop up in areas near Revelstoke as well. That'll ease off, but it'll pick up once again with the weather maker that is pushing in and moving in for tomorrow. Smoky skies bulletin South Thompson, Okanagan Valley, and extending in towards the West Kootenai. If you do have respiratory issues, seeing smoke, especially for areas near the wildfires over the next 24 and 48 hours. Here is the future cast. We can see that instability, so the chance of showers overnight and for the morning hours across the South Coast, and then we'll continue to see that instability, especially 
especially for the afternoon, the southern interior, the Colombian Kootenai will see the chance of showers, and we're also looking at the risk of thunderstorms. Lightning will be a concern for tomorrow. Now, the northern half of the province will see some bright spots. A different weather picture. Temperatures will be at 16 degrees. It's inland that we could see a few isolated showers. We'll hang on to cloud cover for the central interior, but it's just a 30% chance of a shower. Most areas near the peace tomorrow, a cooler one with the Fort St. John just getting up to 11 degrees. The active weather tomorrow will be along the southern interior, the Colombian Kootenai, where we're seeing that risk of thunderstorms. It'll be cooler over the next two days, and then temperatures will start to rebound towards the end of the week. South coast, so we are looking at showers overnight and for tomorrow morning. There's that best chance. Italy's off, partly cloudy for the afternoon, rebounding pleasant Thursday, Friday, sunny with highs closer to 22. All right, tonight's weather window from Ellison Provincial Park, a shot of Okanagan Lake, a gorgeous one. So. Yes, very beautiful. Thank you, Yvonne. Well, many of us may have memories from childhood involving martial arts, but probably not like this toddler. That's Cesar and his son Joshua, known as Super Baby, online practicing Taekwondo skills in their kitchen. Cesar has been in martial arts for more than 40 years. Now he's teaching his son some pretty impressive moves, especially considering Joshua's not even two yet. They post videos of their sessions regularly, some racking up more than 11 million views. He's a natural. His feet and diapers are registered with the FBI as dangerous weapons. And you got to wonder how many takes it took and how many kicks in the face it took <laughs> to get to that point for, for them to get that exactly right. So, Squire, turns out all you really need is a little change at the top. Well, it, uh, it works sometimes, although I guess the Whitecaps, here's the thing, the Whitecaps actually in MLS play hadn't lost in a while under Mark DeSantos, but Vanny Sartini, who is the interim head coach, got his first win last night. Like a little kid when he's happy, and uh, I want everybody to, to know that I'm happy. Well, everybody was happy. The Caps had their best game of the year, beating Salt Lake 4-1. Also ahead, a cute but added complication when you're trying to escape a wildfire. The extra effort needed for these adorable evacuees. Later. Events that shocked us. Secret data collection. Technology that changed us. I think it's fake news. It was fake news. A possible epidemic. Disruption. 20 years of Global National. Friday, September 10th at 10 on Global. I, I could hear the cheers from BC Place, like, blocks away at my place. Really? Well, no, but I could on Twitter. I thought I thought it'd been nicer to see a bigger crowd there. I didn't think the crowd was big enough. Was but, it because of COVID or? Well, I'm guessing that probably had a lot yeah. to do with it. Yeah, but they may start filling up more because uh, Ryan Gold mm-hmm. is worth seeing. Okay. Anyway, despite changing coaches, the Whitecaps have moved to within one point of a playoff spot. They have won three in a row, if you don't count that Canadian Championship game in Victoria last week, and they're unbeaten in their last nine MLS games. Thanks to a 4-1 win over Real Salt Lake last night at BC Place. Now, it will be tougher in the next couple of weeks because goalkeeper Max Crapo, who has been great, is going to go off to Canada's national team to help us try to qualify for the World Cup next year. 
But as a team, the Whitecaps are better than they have been in quite some time. Heel to Dahomey. Dahomey on the right foot. Gold is in range. Things have definitely changed for the Whitecaps, and not just with their head coaches. Vanny Sartini's debut as the Tamp on the sidelines against Real Salt Lake last night went about as good as he could have ever imagined. Before the game, I was everything you know, on, the, on the scale. I was excited, scared, uh, preoccupied, uh, inspired. Uh, I was every adjective, and now I'm just happy. The players said their best game of the year, coming just two days after Mark DeSantos was fired, wasn't because DeSantos was doing a bad job with them. The win was actually inspired by the firing because the Whitecaps felt they had let their old coach down. We felt the guilt, you know, and we came out, we came out flying today. There was a lot of anger in us. Yeah, that's, that was the minimum uh, we could do uh, after a, a week like that. The other thing about the win last night, Ryan Gold was once again the best Whitecap on the field. He's a reason to come to BC Place and watch the Caps play. And without him, Vancouver wouldn't be unbeaten in its last nine MLS games. And he still hasn't played a full 90 minutes yet. Okay, earlier this year, when we saw what we have right beside me, it was odd to see longtime Canuck Chris Tanev start wearing a Calgary Flames uniform and playing for them. But think how it'll look when the LA Kings come to town this season and they have the all-time leading scorer among Canucks defensemen on their blue line instead of Vancouver's. Even in a practice jersey, it looks weird. Alex Edler as a Los Angeles King. Uh, I'm very excited for, for, for my next chapter here, uh, playing with the LA Kings. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's going to be weird not, uh, not playing here anymore. The Canucks drafted Edler in 2004. And in his latter years, they gave him the option that they would try to move him to a contending team if he wished. But he always wanted to stay in Vancouver. Until now. Last year obviously wasn't a great year for, for me personally or for the team. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that had something to do with it. I don't, I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, I always liked playing here. Uh, but I just think it was, uh, it was time for, for us to, to make a change to try something new. What else is new is Alex Edler's number. Because 23 in Los Angeles belongs to Dustin Brown, Edler is going to wear number two to honor an old Canuck teammate. You know, pick number two because, uh, you know, Matthias Olin wore that uh, his whole career here anyway. So someone that meant so much to me early in my career uh, and, you know, that I'm still, you know, good friends with and talk to, to all the time. So I thought it was, uh, it was fitting for me to, to take that number. But despite the fact that Alex Edler is going Hollywood, he'll always be associated with the Canucks, where he played 15 seasons. I just can't thank uh, anyone enough, uh, you know, the fans, the city, the organization, everyone that I've played with, all the, you know, players, coaches, trainers, everyone, everyone around the organization. Uh, you know, it's been, I've had uh, a great time here and I've created so many friendships, so many great memories. So, uh, you know, I'm just very, very thankful for, to the whole city. His new practice uniform has given me a hankering for a Big Mac. Uh, World Hockey Championship semifinals, Canada-Switzerland. No contest, as you'd expect. Canada much the best in this one. Renata Fast scoring there to make it 1-0. Melanie Daou with the deflection. There you go. It's 2-0. 
And then another one here. This is kind of a weird bounce. It goes off Dau and in the net. 4 nothing's the final. And guess who they'll play for the gold medal tomorrow? The U.S. for the 19th time in 20 Women's World Championships. It's Canada and the U.S. in the championship. But actually, Canada has not won a gold medal at the Women's World Hockey Championship since 2012. At the U.S. Open today, Canada won two of three matches. 12th seeded Felix Auger-Aliassime and Leila Fernandez both won in the first round. But unfortunately, Vancouver's Rebecca Marino didn't win her match. She got in to the U.S. Open as a qualifier. She was taking on number five, Alina Svitolina of the Ukraine. This is uh, the first set. Marino lost at 6-2, but she wins her first service game. And Marino gave it a good try, but... She's just not up to this level right now. Svitolina would win it in straight sets. There you go. Well, thank you very much, Squire. You're welcome. Up next, the cutest wildfire evacuees you've ever seen and how the community is stepping up to take care of them. Wildfire season is already a stressful time in the Okanagan. Add being evacuated from your home and having a fresh litter of puppies under your care. And the situation gets even trickier. Global Sydney Morton has more on how teamwork is helping to make things easier on an evacuee in Vernon. 14 puppies are a whole lot of cute work fun, and a little bit of trouble. Add being evacuated from your home due to wildfires, and you might just find yourself in a tricky situation. But It is noisy, you know, first thing in the morning, you know, when they are all hungry, they're yipping. All 14, so just imagine. <laughs> After being evacuated from his home three weeks ago with a large litter of puppies, Alex's friend offered him, the puppies, and their dog mom, Roxanne, a place to stay. But the neighbors weren't too happy with the addition to the street. That's when Animal Control stepped in to help. Well, on August 23rd, I believe we had a f- quite a few calls coming from the household. And our original plan was to go there and give tickets. Um, however, when we talked to Alex and kind of found out that he was an evacuee and we found out his situation, we said, okay, well, we can get creative with this. And so we took them all to the shelter and we brought all 14 puppies here free of charge. That meant Ashley, who is a dog lover, could spend some quality time with the pack, while Alex could take some much-needed rest after months of providing around-the-clock care to the dogs and catch up on his studying to become a veterinarian. It relieved me, and I was able to work on more of my schooling and just catch up on pretty much everything. I was able to go to Vancouver and go to a funeral. It just helped me out a lot with my everything, pretty much, my well-being. But now they're reunited for a short while. Half the litter will be going to their new homes within two weeks, and the other half are still in need of a good family and are able to be adopted. For more information about adoption, visit our website, globalnews.ca slash Okanagan. Sydney Morton, Global News, Vernon. And that's going to crash the website. Yep. Ah, <laughs> uh, so cute. Um, the two of these, these two, those two, these two, were just learning how to use their new phones. Did you figure it out? I yeah, think so. Picture? The Cameron yeah. portrait works one way better than the other. Yeah, the other way we look like we are 93 years <laughs> yeah, old. Yeah, it was very aging. The other way was much better. We'll not we post, post that. that. Not um, the old one. <laughs> very quick word on the weather, Yvonne. Uh, we are looking at a chance of showers overnight and for tomorrow morning. Once we get past that, partly cloudy skies, and we've got some sunshine and warming up Thursday, Friday. All right, that's all the time we have on this Monday night. We have started off the week, everyone. Let's get through the rest of it. Have a good night, all.